What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares to set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys I was in Leavenworth with and others who served time at other prisons. We're going to be talking about life before prison, life in prison, life out of prison. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. I am really excited about my guest today because she has a lot that she has done in her life that is going to be a book, I'm sure. Uh, but we're going to talk about we're going to talk about some homeless stuff. We're going to be talking about addiction. We're going to be talking prison. We're going to be talking recovery. And and Jen has even uh, coined a phrase of lifestyle recovery solutions, which I think we'll talk about as we go along here. So. Uh, Jen Henry is my guest today. Jen, welcome. Hi, Brett. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here. So you have been in all these different things. You have, you are that person. And we were just talking before you go on. I didn't, I thought your story was incredible and, and very interesting, fascinating when we were on the phone the other day, but I didn't know that the whole homeless aspect was part of this. I want to get into that. So Jen, if you, where did you grow up and as a kid, what was life like for you as, as little Jen? What, what was your home life? Was mom, dad, married, siblings? What was it all like? You know, Brent, it was like growing up. So I grew up in Riverside, California, born and raised. I still live in Riverside. Growing up, I hated it because I didn't know downtown Riverside. I only knew our little corner which was technically Paris last Mead Valley. And it was on the very Southeast corner of Riverside County. And hmm, I grew up on a horse ranch. Yeah. I had both of my parents. They both did okay for themselves. My dad made, you know, six figures a year and my mom brought in a pretty hefty chunk. And I didn't know to need, let alone want. I had horses, I had chores, I had responsibilities, but I was all alone. My parents were an incredible example of what it looks like to have a partner in life. Somewhat, what I thought was what it was supposed to look like when you chose someone for it to be you and that person against the world. Yeah. And it was a conversation in my house that when my mom and I wouldn't get along as, as growing up, my mom was an alcoholic, but she was a functional alcoholic. But the reason that she drank was because she was a bipolar. Mm. She, had, she suffered from bipolar. Which is so now, tough for people. My, excuse my dogs, by the way. We are oh, no, I, just, I, I told you, Jen, that'll just make it more comforting to people listening. that We're just at your home. And we are yeah, just at you your are, home. You're, and <laughs> and it, is, it is difficult. And so as a young child, we don't know what's going on. We just know that this is our world. Right. This is our life. And this is how we're being programmed. We don't even know we're being programmed. We're just being told all of these things and we're seeing all of these things as examples. And what I had was a mother who I knew I, I suspected loved me, but I don't think she knew how to love me because she didn't know how to love herself. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's something I learned later on in life. But in the meantime, I was a confused little girl who kept asking my mom what was wrong with her. 
she would be happy-go-lucky one second and then asking me to do something one second and then mad at me because I wasn't doing something else and then would be screaming at me and then I would be crying and then she would be crying and then she would be trying to tell me, oh my God, I'm such a terrible mother, I'm so sorry. And then apologizing, asking me to forgive her and then wanting to play with me and asking me why I wasn't trying to, uh, why I wasn't playing with her or laughing with her. And I finally, one day I was like seven and I was like, mom, what is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. What, is, what is wrong with you? And she finally went and got some help and she got on medication. Unfortunately, she still found her release with alcohol in the evening. Mm-hmm. I had, my dad was an amazing guy. He was a hustler. He was always someone who went after what he wanted, who always was in the groove and in the game and shaking and moving. And to me, for the beginning of my life, he was my hero. And I, and he always told me, you know, Jen, you can do anything that you set your mind to. You can be anybody. You can, you can do anything you want to do in this life. And then I had my mom who would have alcoholics and bipolar fits and would tell me that she can't believe she almost died having me, that I was such a waste of breath, that I was someone who, you know, she was not well. She didn't mean those things. I know now. Jen, did your, did your dad like, was he aware of and talked to you about how your mom was doing or were you together on this that, you know, mom's not right. Your dad's well, your hero. Exactly. Is he helping out? Is it like, how did that no. all work? No, as a matter of fact, I remember one evening there was an episode and, and I don't tell all this to air all my family secrets and they're probably not thrilled that I share these pieces of life, but they are pieces of my life. They are experiences That's that I had to story. go through to become who I am. And I am so grateful that I got to witness these things and carry this, these, this belief system for as long as I did, because then I got to heal that. And now I get to support others in healing them themselves. But no, Brent, actually what happened was I would bring up to my dad, dad, you see how she is in the evening. Do you see why are we, can't we leave? Why can't we go somewhere else? Why do we have to live with her? And he said, you know what, Jen, it was your and my love mother's love for each other that brought you into this world. And you're going to grow up one day and you're going to start a family and that's, it's going to be you and your, your husband or wife against the world. And of course, at the time it was 30 years ago, we're talking about husband and wife. And he said, you're going to meet a husband and you're going to start a family and it's going to be you and your husband against the world. And then it's going to be just me and your mom left here. And so it's got to be me and your mom against the world. Mm. And I need you to understand that. And so there was a lot that happened there that was imprinted in me. One, I don't matter. Two, I am not part of the tribe. Three, I am left to fend for myself and I have to one day find someone who will put up with my shit no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't matter how I act because I can act like that and they'll still put up with me. And if they don't, then they don't love me. Mm. And I, but at the same time, I just felt that I needed to find that person and I needed to, that. and so my entire young adult life, I thought that I thought being accepted, I wanted to be accepted, I wanted to fit in, I wanted you to like me, I wanted, I would be whoever you needed me to be so that I could. Was that what your high school and school was like is you were trying to please you were trying to get friends and please and do and yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. But as a young girl, I was in private school, and I did really, really well. And I was too smart for my own good. I tested hot high in the John Hop- top 3% of the John Hopkins test. And then I tested the top 3% of that. And then they threw me in public school mm. where I was completely bored out of my mind all through class. And I would go hang out in the bathroom. But the other girls hanging out in the bathroom weren't there because they were bored because they knew everything already. <laughs> and they could ace the test without looking a little crack in a book. They were in there because they didn't want to, they wanted to escape. 
And that's something that we had in common was that I wasn't okay in my own skin. I didn't know how to be or who to be or what what this whole purpose of life was and and why I was having to repeat all this information and this waste of time. And this just wasn't it, right? So F it. I don't want to be a part of it. Stop the world. I want off. Mm-hmm. And I did. And by middle school, I was already beginning to check out. I started smoking cigarettes at 12. I started smoking weed at 13. By 15, I was doing coke and ecstasy and acid. Was it easy, Jen, to find people um, in that world so that, because obviously I can just tell by your story to this point, you were a kid that wanted to escape. You were a smart kid, but you were struggling with trying to figure out your mom, trying to understand where you fit into that. But the escape, was it hard to find people that were wanting that same thing? Or was it just because it was a drug world, those people were all kind of, like you said, looking for the escape? Oh, no, babe. I'm a manifesting machine. When I want something, it just seems to, you know? And, it, and you know, when you start to walk down a path, you start to meet other characters walking down that path. That's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. You know, I do a lot of relationship work. And when I'm ta- when I, I, when I think of someone wanting to meet their person, and I think of someone wanting to get that job, or I think about someone wanting to have that life, Okay, what are you doing to have that life? What are you doing to have that relationship? Are you going the places that your future that future person would be? Are you in alignment with them? Right. And that's really what it. But the, the gist of my work is around personal connection, yeah. not just connection, not connection to other people, because we don't have a problem really. At least myself, I don't have a problem seeking outside like taking care of other people, making sure they're okay. Making sure that fills it you up. Feel good. Yeah, it does. However, if I'm not full, if I'm not filling my own cup, yeah. Right. If I'm not, if I don't know who I am, if I don't know what I want, if I don't set boundaries around what it is that I need in my life and honoring my yeses and nos, right. Saying yes to the things that matter to me, that feed me, that fill me and no to the things that are sucking me dry, then I'm never going to be able to have that balance or mm-hmm. be in alignment with where I'm looking to go. And yeah. Yeah, no, you can get, that's how a lot of people get off of where their plan is. You know, people say they have a goal and they have a plan and then they have to take action to that. But the problem is if you take action to that and you get it unbalanced, then what you're saying is if you say yes to everything, then that means that you're not doing the most passionate thing because you're, you're drifting and getting distracted. But I'm interested in this because you, you said you were getting and basically stepping, Jen, into all these these worlds of drugs. How did you get into a homeless situation at the age of like 16? I was getting ready to I Because your family, up, you, came, you had horses in, in private school. Oh, yeah. and a, so how, did, how did in the world does that happen? By my own hand, sir. By my own hand. And I think that accountability and responsibility for our own actions is one of the first steps to being able to, is one of the most important steps of being able to actually create a life you love and that you're proud of and that you respect yourself for and that others actually respect you for. Because when, I totally spoiled off right now in my mind. So when we are, I will, I will, well, I want to Here's, here's what I'm, I'm curious about, Jen. Did to go homeless in a certain time period, because I, 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 homelessness fascinates me because there's a lot of people that are homeless that it's a totally different stereotype than what 
you would like you and I were talking about Michael Henderson before. Um, why did why I did you see it as an option? I can get specific. It wasn't really an option. It wasn't something that came about because I chose to do that. It happened as a result of my choices. And my choices were to escape. My choices were to numb. And that is what the universe was going to provide for me if that's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And when I started to notice, right, it started out with just having some fun on the the weekend with my friends. And then it became every day we were smoking weed between classes or even breaking, you know, leaving class to go smoke weed in the bathroom. And then it was we were bringing, uh, we were having to get coke before the midwinter dance. And then it was well, let's do Coke again next weekend and let's do Coke again at that party and let's do it. And then, so I was going to score Coke from a friend and she says, I don't know why you waste your money on that crap. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, I don't know why you don't do speed. And I was like, oh, I've heard horror stories. I would never touch that. It's, you know, I've heard too much bad shit. She's like, oh my gosh, it's the same thing as Coke. It's just cheaper and it lasts longer. Mm. And I bought it because I wanted to believe her. And so I remember, I'll never forget the first night that I went over and I hung out and I was smoking speed out of a light bulb and I never stopped, never stopped. It was one of those things where that was the ultimate escape. I did not care for the first time about anything. I didn't care what you thought. I didn't care what I thought. I didn't care what the rules were. I didn't care if somebody didn't like me. I didn't care. And it was the most freeing experience up until that point that I've ever, ever had. And that is what I thought, the freedom. Mm. That's what I thought I was gonna get from that was the freedom. Well, it gave it to me right out onto the street because I lost my mind. The reason I started inter- injecting meth and using meth intravenously was because I could stay sane that way. I couldn't stay sane when I would smoke it. Mm. And I kept going to mental hospitals and mental hospital after mental hospital because I was hearing things and seeing things. And to this day, I have to remind myself of certain things not being real. Yeah. To this day, I am schizoaffected. So it made you extremely paranoid. Up, up for months starving for months, instinctively breaking into places and or on into yards and using hoses yeah. to drink water like a dog, like just lapping so it up like a dog. When you were homeless and, though, Jen, were you around the area that you were familiar with or did were you somewhere else? The area that I was familiar with was dirt. It was orange groves. There was nothing up there at that time. In mm-hmm. the area that I grew up in, it was hundreds and thousands of acres of orange groves. And so I was downtown Riverside and Eastside Riverside. Mm-hmm. And as a young white girl, ignorant, naive white girl in the streets of downtown Riverside and Eastside, there were things that I experienced that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Mm. And I don't hold a resentment or a grudge against any of those people because that's the lifestyle they were living before I ever came around. But I did lose my mind because I didn't know I, I was in the twilight zone. I really felt like I didn't understand my brain exploded. That's why I was in another mental hospital too, because not only was I on drugs, not only was I not able to be in my right mind, not only did I find that, you know, was I also manic depressive bipolar had been on and off mental health meds. Like, did you know that at that time? Did you know? I I did. My, my parents, my parents first took me to the psych around 13. Mm -hmm. um, And I believe it was because of my drug use. And like, I was doing tons of ecstasy. I was doing tons of acid. And Mm -hmm. so I was completely gone and I wasn't okay. And I was having fit. And the tantrums that I threw as a spoiled child were nothing in comparison to what was happening when I would come down and have to feel again. And I was angry and mean and horrible and I stopped caring and they saw that. And so they tried to get me help, but there was nothing really that they could do because I wasn't in a place where I could hear anything. I had to go through what I had to go through. So when you, that's really hard for a lot of people to hear. Oh yeah. Because that's, that's a tough, dark road and it's, you're lonely on that road. And, 
So when you were on the streets, is that, did you, were you all, you said you were in and out of, were you in and out of being arrested and jail time and those things when that time period was in your life? The mental hospitals are usually where they took me. Uh, I was, I would be on 72 hour holds until finally at 17, I was put on a two week hold and, and it was, 50, I was 52, 50 and I, uh, which is a 51, 50 is a 72 hour hold and a 52, 50 is a 10, I believe it's 10 days to two weeks hold. And they were going to keep me longer, but I was able to talk myself out of it. And when my mom came to pick me up, they be- she begged them not to let me go. She looked right in my face and was like, she is not herself. That is not her. And they had me on 1,500 milligrams of Depakote mm. on top of like three other medications. That was enough to put down an elephant or a full grown man mm-hmm. at least, right? And I'm a little 17-year-old, 120-pound girl who is on so much medication that she shouldn't even be able to walk, let alone have a conversation. And she just looked straight in my face and saw that I was not ready. And they said, there's nothing we can do. She's been released. We didn't even make it home. And I was out of the car. Were there periods of time where you tried to get right and clean? Or was it just one I was clean spiral? from 18 to 22. From 18, 18 to, 22. to 22, I had gotten clean. I'd gotten arrested at 18. And at the time, there was a program called Prop 37. Prop, Prop 13. Prop 36? Prop 36. Prop 36. <laughs> and That's a lot of numbers. What it allowed, it was Prop 36. It allowed us to claim drug addiction as our reasoning. And as long as there's only drug charges or drug related charges, you were accepted into that program. You could do an outpatient program. And if you did the outpatient program, you were released and your charges were dropped. If you, you got three chances, the first time was an outpatient, second time was an outpatient, third time was an inpatient. And that's it. And if you didn't do that, you went. So I ended up going to outpatient, getting arrested again, going to outpatient, getting arrested again, and then going to outpatient, going to inpatient and staying for 67 of the 90 days. Because uh, long story short, they had changed the law, changed the requirements of the Prop 36. And so by the time I got to 67 days, even though I had left, I still met my requirements. Mm-hmm. And while I was in there, I met a young man who had been in the rehab nine times, who had a six-year-old son. And I just thought, well, he isn't he Mr. Prince Charming? Mm-hmm. So he and I started hooking up. And so I was together with him for four years. And then I was doing AA and NA. I was actively involved in meetings. I had a sponsor. I was working steps. How did that feel at that time when you when you At that time, I thought I was... I had gotten my cosmetology license. I had started working. I was making five, six grand a month at the time, not even thinking about it. I had no overhead because I was living with my parents mm. and my boyfriend in our back house in the property, the horse property. And, and you I were always so amazing. darn smart. You know, that's the thing, Jen, I, that's interesting thought, about all this. You, you were a brilliant girl. You were just walking down dark paths. And I didn't know who I was because, you know, when the shit hit the fan, and my, I ended up having a miscarriage and I didn't know how to process that because I didn't even know I was pregnant. I found out because of the miscarriage, I didn't tell him and I held resentment for about six months. Mm. Our relationship got really ugly because it had already been ugly. He had relapsed on alcohol. He let, I kicked him out. He left and then ended up coming back, begging for forgiveness. I brought him back. And when I brought him back, it turned out that he had been sleeping with someone else and da, 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 mm. guess what? She was pregnant. 
So yeah. now he, so then all of a sudden I find out that all of this that I've gone through had been for nothing. And not only are we not having a child together, but they are. Wow. And he moved in the next week. Oh man. And so there was just, there was only so much. I handled his relapse. I handled the miscarriage. But when it came down to it, when it came down to that, I, I couldn't, there was, I had, I still didn't have enough spiritual connection to self. I still didn't have enough foundation. I still didn't have enough coping skills to be able to really deal with life on life terms. And I ran. And I ran and numbed and I relapsed and I relapsed hard. And I knew that this time I wasn't going to be the victim. I wasn't going to be the one that got jumped or gang raped or held hostage or robbed or any of it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily going to be doing those things, but I was definitely not going to get crossed ever again. And so it, it was a little darker those last three years. 22 to 25 was a much darker place for me. And and I'm just grateful that I was arrested when I was because of the way that my lifestyle had been escalating towards well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that behavior. when, when you got arrested, um, was it like you, how did you feel about that? Did you feel like, Oh my God, this is horrible. I'm, I'm going, you know, I, I'm going to get convicted. I'm going to jail. Or did, were you worn out? Uh, both probably, but yeah. at the same time I had been there, I had done that. I knew what I was looking at. And so all I could do in the moment was make sure I was setting myself up. And of course, because the room that we were arrested in was in my name, um, I had a parole violation and the other people all were able to bail out except for me. And so there was a lot of anger and resentment, but I had actually, I had had my drugs on me. I had taken my drugs and my needle into the jail with me. Um, we use our, our female purse, mm -hmm. if you will. And uh, I was able to take those in with me. And so I walked into jail this last time with an eight ball and a rig. Mm. And so I set myself up, my bunkie, who my cellmate, I, you know, she was a six foot two bald headed black stud broad, 250, maybe 300 pounds. And thank goodness I had what I had because we were able to get along right away because of that. Once I trusted her and I was, I felt comfortable opening up about that. She used to help me get set up. I was get, I got what I needed and I was actually okay. And I was like, just, this is another day. This is just part of the process. This is the life that I'm living. and. Well, how much time were you looking at, Jen, at that point? At that point, I was looking at uh, six, to, six to eight years. Wow. I would just say seven years. And I didn't really care. I didn't really care. I'd already been there. I'd already done that. I got out of prison. I'd already been to prison once, and I got out worse than I went in. Mm -hmm. I was only out 67 days before I got rearrested. Right. And when I ran out, that's when life really hit and I just had this moment of awareness where I finally stepped out of myself and saw myself you know I as I said I had run out I was dry I had I was starting to have to feel and I was coming down and and I did fine when I was high but when I was coming down I was not okay mm -hmm. I was the devil and I said some crass words to my bunkie and spit on her and she picked me up off the second bunk threw me in the corner and threw a Bible at me and said, you need God, bitch. Mm. And I picked up the Bible and threw it in the corner of my shelf and acted like, you know, MF this and MF that and MF you. Crawled up in my bunk and fell asleep. I probably woke up a couple of days later and everyone was at day room. And so I immediately go up and I get my rig and I, I start pushing and pulling to see if there's my post, like I pull blood into it and I push it back in just to see if there's any way I can get any more drugs out of this needle. 
And that, and I, and at that moment, I just dissociated and I saw myself. I, like, I don't think up until that point in my life, I had ever really taken any, I never really had any understanding of intercession. I mean, when you say and you I saw yourself, had, what, what were you, what did you see? What was your, how would you have seen yourself? So I'm actually seeing myself sitting on this phone covered with my blanket, mm-hmm. blood marks, needle marks bleeding out of my ankle, um, gaunt, skinny, dead looking, and just so sick and mm. not well. And I just felt this overwhelming sadness for who I'd become and what I was looking at. And I just wanted to help her and be there for her. But I was just so heartbroken for what I was looking at. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I kind of, as I realized what I'm looking at, I'm back in my body and I'm feeling the pain and I'm feeling the misery and I'm having the, I'm going through DTs. I'm going through all of it. And I'm having to have that human experience again. And I look up to where I kind of had been seeing myself and I see that Bible and I'm by no means a Bible something Christian. I would more consider myself a Buddhist than I would consider myself a Christian. <laughs> okay. But I would say Spiritual. that I, I believe that when we are meant to know something, God, our higher power, the universe, the powers that be mm-hmm. will find a way to tell you what you need to know as long as you ask the right questions. And I remember feeling, seeing that version of me sitting there and I was like, what have you done? What are you doing? Like, like what is happening to you? And I look up and I see that Bible and I get out of bed and I grab the Bible and I open it up and I'm paraphrasing here, but it talks about gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest in the assurance that your faith in God will restore you to sanity. You know, trust that just have faith that you're going to be okay. And in that moment, I knew that I knew that I knew And I don't know how I knew, but I knew that I was going to be okay. No matter what, here I was. I had been through more than anyone I'd ever met or even heard about Mm -hmm. in just a few years on the street. And yet here I was sitting, breathing, and I'm okay. And what am I going to do about it? Because obviously, whether I want to be here or not, I'm here. Mm -hmm. So now what? And it was that moment, I'll never forget it, being for the first time in my own skin, knowing that no matter what, I was going to be okay. And I just had this knowing and I've had this knowing since that I know that when I take the next right indicated step, when I listen and ask the right questions and find the right answers for myself, not for what everybody else wants from me, not for the judge, not from the dealer, not from my mom or dad, not from the teacher, not from the best friend or the coworker or the boss. When I check in with myself and I decide what I need for myself, and I move forward and take action towards that, I know that I am honoring my highest self. I know that I'm honoring that God inside of me. I know that that's when, how I will reach enlightenment and be able to transcend all of this earthly bullshit that we all have to deal with every single day. Right. We have absolutely no control over what someone else is meant to learn from this experience in life. Wow. Amen. All I have <laughs> is the ability to choose my experience. And I'm the only one who gets to determine what that is. I think it's and interesting, I have to- Jen, I think it's interesting though, that, you know, how people come to that, the people who talk about it, the way that you're talking about it, because I had a similar experience, you, you know, when you are there and it seems like everything changes after that. I, and you knowing that you were going to be okay, regardless if it was going to be the worst of the worst, 
and the most unknown or scary that you had to go through, somehow you gained the confidence to know that you didn't re- need to reach for that escape, that you were actually just going to survive it because you had an inner confidence. And I think that's really cool of however that happens or however we get there. Um, sometimes hitting the bottom, so many people are so afraid to hit rock bottom because they don't know what that is or where it is. And sometimes that's when everything's revealed to you that you gain something intangible from that, that gives you the survival tools to get to your next world. And it sounds like, it's just like you were sitting in a place that was so awful and you're looking in the mirror and you're thinking, that's not me. I can't be me. And then, and then you put it all together. It's very interesting. And I'd love to say that it was happily ever after after that. And I made all these amazing choices <laughs> for myself. Nothing's ever happily ever after. And life changed. And, you know, and I have That'll to be in the movie. <laughs> I had the best of the, I had the best of intentions, you know, but throughout the time I was serving, I got sucked back in. The energy that I was surrounded by was negative and sure, dark sure. And, 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 and manipulative. And, Claustrophobic. And, ugh, all the things, yeah. right? And so I, it, eventually, of course, I got sucked back into that lifestyle and disconnected. And I realized, and I ended up getting, I ended up getting high in prison, selling drugs in prison, selling tobacco in prison. And it, before my release, I was drug te- a few months before my release, I was drug tested because I didn't hold my shit together very well in group one day. And it was very obvious that I was not well in the head. And so they ran a drug test. And of course I tested dirty. Now I thank God that that's all I, that's all that's sure. happened, right? Because I yeah. was doing some you know other things you get caught bringing stuff in to the prison that is a big deal and being the visitor that was actually bringing the stuff in i you know it's been way too long for them to do anything about it now thank god but uh, i thought i was hard i thought i was badass like i thought that i now i've made it yeah you live in the prison life when i got a hundred percent and when i got that dirty test and i got everything taken away from me i thought you know what then you're having to suffer consequences in prison because you're still an asshole what is going on? And that's when I started, really started my healing journey. And that's when I really started realizing I needed to take accountability for my actions. And if this is the life I wanted to be living, I might as well just commit another crime and stay here because there's no sense in processing out to process back. Mm. And I thought that's not what I wanted. I fought for that six month program. I fought in county for months to get that six month program. And I'm going to do my best to make it work. And I'm going to try and learn how to live life on life terms. And I'm going to try to learn how to cope. And I'm going to try to learn how to feel these feelings that everybody keeps talking about that I've been suppressing for the last 20 years. And when I was released and I was able to go to prison, able to go to prison, able to go to the inpatient rehab, I was on all kinds of medications still because it was a stipulation of my parole that I'd be on these meds because I was a risk to myself and others. And when I asked my therapist, my psychiatrist. Was part of the meds for your bipolar treatment too? Okay. It was. But you know, Brent, it was, and especially now that I know what I know Mm -hmm. and I'm as educated as I am, I find it devastating that when I look back at my eating habits when I was a child, I would come home from school and I would have a bowl bowl or two of goldfish crackers. Mm -hmm. I would have multiple handfuls of red vines. I would have two or three Pepsis. <laughs> okay. And then they were wondering why I was not able to focus, bouncing off the walls, uh, yeah. not able to, right? Doing too much, being too much. And I just find it interesting that not once 
in all of the treatment plans they tried to create for me, where they focused on what I was eating, how much my body was moving, where, what, what my, my thoughts were and what, and addressing the, the, where those came from, right? None of that was addressed. And so when I work with now with recognizing those things, I'm just so grateful to do the work I do because obviously that should have been the first step. Obviously that was something that should have been addressed. And we just didn't have that education back then about functional medicine. In any case, when I was released, I, it was important to me as they started to try and teach me all this, you know, I'm in rehab and we're doing group and we're in group from nine to four. And they're trying to get us to feel these feelings and make plans for ourselves and create this vision of what our life could possibly be like. But I'm still so messed up in the head and I'm still so foggy and still unable to feel because of all of these meds Yeah. that I had no way to answer that question, honestly. And if I was going to get the kind of results I was looking for and learn how to feel and be in a safe space, I, I couldn't be on meds to do that, at least not this much. Uh, in my mind, in my heart, in my gut, as I continued to check in with what I needed, because that's what I, that's when I began that journey, like what would be right for me? I needed to get off of them. And when I brought it up to my doctors, they said, Oh, no, remember it's a stipulation of your parole. Mm -hmm. And I was heartbroken because I knew that I knew what I needed. And I'm finally learning to trust myself against anyone else. Just you. No one else knows what's right for us. No one. It is our responsibility to seek out the information that is for us. And that's what I was trying to do. And I had to do that by being, being able to feel, even if it was uncomfortable, even if I hated it, even if it wasn't necessarily safe. So when did you feel like you had overcome the hill of that you were climbing? Ah, hill. Let's see. Well, I would say that we are on a journey yeah. and that if we look at a topographical map, uh, the United States and the world is very up and down all over the place. And I still, to this day, will suffer bouts of disconnection. Yeah. And by that, I mean hardcore depression, raging anxiety, stress to the max around being so overwhelmed with really not that much to do, but not knowing where to start. So I'll be on the couch for three days. Mm -hmm. Those things still exist. I still have those moments. But instead of completely checking out, I make sure that what I have in place are things called non-negotiables. And over the last decade, you know, there are certain things that I've found that I need to have in place because when they're not there, I'm not there. Mm -hmm. Well, let's so, talk, let's talk a little bit about that. Cause you, we, uh, it's been about 10 years since you got out and t tell me a little bit about that. When you, when you got out of prison, what, what were your first steps of getting back into a world that you felt like you could live in? Because up to up that point, I mean, Jen, you had lived in an incredible existence of a lot of things going on in your life. I'm super grateful that when I was clean during those few years, late teens, early 20s, that I was able to decide on something for myself and create a trade and, and, and learn a trade. And I never thought that I would do it forever. I never thought it would be something I loved this much, but it fits right into my codependent personality around needing to make people feel good about themselves. And so I've been in the transformation industry for 20 years now because I love when people can sit in my chair and come in feeling like crap and then they leave feeling like a million bucks. That's everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and so I still have that and I still had my license and when I was in rehab, I actually had a sponsor or a friend of mine 
that was allowed to take me to class at the end of my trend, like as I was transitioning out and we had work program at the end of the rehab stay, the residential treatment, she was able to take me to get recertified as an educator for a color line that I used to work for. And so immediately I started setting myself up for being able to open my own business again and run my own, run, run what I needed to as far as my rent a booth or uh, run classes. Mm-hmm. When I was released, I was, my, my parents actually allowed me to come back into their house with rent, same as renting a room. Mm-hmm. It was just easier for me to do it from them. They charged me $550 a month straight out. And so I had to get hustling straight out. And when I started, so I went and I rented a booth and she gave me two weeks to start. So she gave me a one week start where I, and I she only charged me commission on that week. And then that next week I started my booth rent. And so I sat and I waited and I rebuilt my clientele. And while I was doing that, I had also, one of my non-negotiables had become movement. And so while I was in that rehab, if we back up a little bit, while I was in that rehab, you know, I'm coming off this medication and I'm not okay. I'm coming out of my skin. I'm having to go to group every day. I'm sweating. I'm cramping. I'm shitting my, excuse my Mm -hmm. friends, but I mean, I'm not okay. And I'm having to excuse myself. I ended up getting a couple days to completely like just start because in the first couple of days it wasn't that bad and as I started to detox because I'm on benzodiazepines I'm on hardcore sedatives I'm on Neurontin and different uh seizure medications and as I'm and I'm slowly detoxing myself but it's still no fun and as I started to come back to life I after group I was still totally wasted and I they, we had an old treadmill in our rec room and in this rec room, everyone after group is trying to relax, watch TV, play cards, talk on the phone. And here I come. And I don't know if you've ever heard an old rickety treadmill, <laughs> but they are like listening to my chihuahua bark, like uh-huh. loud, obnoxious times a hundred. And I'm sure everybody loved you in the times. rec room. <laughs> oh, they, they were thrilled and they were thrilled to let me know how thrilled they sure. were. And so I, it was the first time in my life that I actually stood up for what I needed for my wellness. Yeah. to be okay <laughs> because and I had to physically fight for it and I feel like that set me a really good foundation for being able to fight for what I need no matter what anybody else thought no one else was paying my bills no one else was mm-hmm. making sure that I was okay no one else was making sure that I had to make sure I was okay and so I started at every everyone knew after group I was gonna be on that treadmill so they just waited they just waited to do whatever they needed to do that couldn't be interrupted by noise. And I was so grateful for that because it was the first time that there were actually people in the community that were also on my side. Yeah. And as I started to do this movement and as I started to get out and get to go visit home and got home, I started running every day and then I started lifting weights and then I started doing body weight exercises and lifting weights and doing hit programs. And then I started running a boot camp. Mm. and then I started learning about food and balancing my gut and all of the things that go along with that and balancing the chemicals in my brain. And I started realizing that how good I felt and how capable I felt and how I hadn't thought of disconnecting in months. And then months turned into years. And I realized, and I started looking around and everybody around me was falling like flies, relapsing, going back to prison, Mm -hmm. running back to, you know, their exes or their drug dealers or Mm -hmm. whoever, any way that they could to escape losing their job, And it devastated me and I felt so helpless. And I realized that that wasn't something that while I couldn't 
necessarily change their lives for them. I could absolutely figure out what the heck I was doing that was working yeah. and share it with them. And so that's how it started. That's at how first, it started. I thought it was fitness. How cool I is that? I thought it was fitness. I thought fitness was the way that I was going to save the world. Yeah. I was like, everybody just needs to move their body more and we're going to be better. <laughs> and that's true. Yeah. But wait, there's more. Everybody needs to learn how to, how to have a balanced, healthy gut so that they can reduce Alzheimer's and dementia and any chronic illness, like, and all, especially mental health diseases, it, it, right? We, this is what's going to save the world. So I got really hardcore into nutrition. And then I started competing and I was doing fitness competitions and I was weighing all my food and I was working out a couple hours a day and I was doing all these things because I was saving myself. <laughs> You're a zero but, to 60 people, girl. <laughs> oh man. Wow. And then people were coming up to me and I had a full clientele and I was running this boot camp and I was working with competition clients. And I, I realized that as people were coming up to me, asking me to work with them around a the competition, I started determining them. Yeah. And that's so interesting. And it was the first time I really started to get curious around it because the truth was I was telling them, they're like, oh, Jen, you look amazing. I want to be healthy like you. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you have to pick one. You want to look like me or do you want to be healthy? And it started dawning. I started occurring to me that I hadn't been really paying attention to caring about the fact that I hadn't had a period in three years or that my kidneys were shutting down or that I was losing my hair or that I was completely miserable and judging myself every time I looked in the mirror or that I felt like if I didn't, I was less than. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what is happening? This isn't why I got into this. Mm -hmm. I got into fitness and taking care of myself because I needed it to feel okay, to be okay in my own skin. And yet here I was not okay in my own skin, constantly judging myself against the girls I was taking second place to because they were willing to do things chemically that I wasn't willing to do to win a plastic trophy on stage. And so, but still here I am comparing myself to them, feeling less than not, really connecting to what it is that I wanted to be experiencing. Instead, I was comparing myself to what I thought others wanted me to be. Holding myself to some standard that the community had built for me that wasn't mine. So how did you make that turn? Well, it, because now I know what you're doing. I, I, know, I mean, I, I know what training. you're doing. Yeah. I stopped working out. I stopped eating clean. I started eating whenever I wanted. I got off my routine and guess what? I that gained 20 bad. pounds, fell into a yeah. depression. Right. And completely lost myself again. And I around, you know, a few months into that, maybe a year, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe close to a year of that. I realized that that wasn't it either. Mm -hmm. And the re and I finally started to ask myself, you know, I loved working with these clients, but my issue was, I think it's amazing that when I'm there in their face and they're connected to what they're doing and who they're being, that they're doing well, but who are they being the other 23 hours of the day mm -hmm. when they get in that car and go over to Jamba Juice and get a 1200 calorie <laughs> juice because they deserve it. Or they go through McDonald's because they deserve it. Or they get in the car to go to work and they feel amazing, but then someone cuts them off and they're ready to chase them down for the next hour. I mean, who are you being when your kid does something that irritates you and you bite their head off because you haven't eaten because you're dieting because you think that that's what you need to do to be happy when no one has ever been happy dieting ever. No. Not that I know. Right. Of. I can't imagine when you're not dieting and you're actually just eating foods that make you feel good, actually feel good, not instant in, in that moment, not for instant gratification, but actually make your body feel good. When you actually have a relationship with your body that allows you to know when it feels good or doesn't feel good. Right. When you are building a relationship with yourself and being able to connect to whether or not you like what you're experiencing or not. I think that oftentimes that is really 
that's the first step in the framework, right? And so one thing I've built over the 10 years is this framework. And so it's six steps that are strategically placed one after the other, because I felt that in order for me to share what has and hasn't worked, I had to make it simple to follow. I had to make it something that I could connect with and that I could align with. And so that's what it is. Is it, is that how and you so coined the phrase, the, the lifestyle uh, recovery solution? Lifestyle that, recovery. Yeah, because you're... So lifestyle recovery. Can you explain that? Because you, you and I talked a little bit about that. Because it's not uh, a teetotaler thing. It's 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 learning to be in and, and moderate, I think, is what your thoughts and the program of what you promote is, right? Lifestyle recovery for me. So the actual, my company name is Lifestyle Recovery Solutions. And the reason that I use the term lifestyle recovery is because we're so quick to do physical therapy or recovery yeah. or, or nutrition I love the name lifestyle recovery. I think that's a very more so commonly known addiction or alcohol recovery. Right. And the truth is, is that recovery is a consistent place of healing, right? You're continuing to heal and grow and make better and make whole again and when it's not just about recovering from the addiction i truly don't believe it's about addiction by itself mm -hmm. i believe that addiction is the symptom and i believe that the actual issue is disconnection the inability to be okay with self and be connected to our current experience we are so constantly either in past trauma mm -hmm. or in well i was fear. thinking about your you your childhood growing up your your escape turned into the addiction because you're trying to figure out or get away from the things you couldn't understand and people escape all day every day when i get clients that come to me because they just can't seem to put the box of cheeses down <laughs> guilty sometimes we get caught in mindlessness mm -hmm. and disconnection without even realizing it the reason that you sat and watched three seasons of that show on Netflix is because you disconnected. That's an addiction. The reason that you sat there and exactly the reason that you sat there and ate that whole box of cookies was because you disconnected. Mm -hmm. The reason that you blew up on your spouse or your child or your best friend was because you disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And you know, you brought up the Netflix thing. I think that is so, what does it say about us that we look at something and say, Oh my gosh, it's got four seasons. I can binge on that for, days or hours because i remember growing up that my escape was books and i remember i would get in trouble because i'd be up till two three in the morning reading a book because i was in that world and mm -hmm. that was my first addiction and i believe netflix does that for us on, with even less effort yeah right if i don't have to tire my eyes and i don't have to turn just a page and i can just the other, say yes i'm still watching four hours later <laughs> you know then and i am absolutely guilty of that when i want to check out and i don't want to do anything i don't even want to pick up a book netflix yeah, and I and, thought, and I, I thought you know, too that I have to be careful. Yeah, the 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 book reading. I think I read a a book a week in prison, and it was I so and I you know I would read at night with the little thing that attached to my book, the little light, and it was like you were just going in your own world. Thank God you had a place to go to get in, you know, away from everything else that was around you. So yeah, I think you're I think you're really right on top of that. That is totally just. And and there are benefits to it. Sure there is. There absolutely are benefits to it. And that's what I consider purposeful yeah. disconnection. There's a big difference between mindlessly killing a box of cookies and actually purposefully running a bath for yourself or turning on Netflix and giving yourself yeah. two hours Give in a block of time. time or 
whatever, right? It's important that we have white space in our calendar in order to create a sustainable, healthy life of either serving either life or of a career of serving others. I'm curious though, Jen, cause you, I know you, when we were, you, you're, you're married, have a husband. How did those personal things start? Like, I'm sure you went into that thinking I've got all this stuff that I, I've got to find the right person that gets me. Did that, was that something that by happenstance happened or was it something, how did that all work? It comes down to continuing to honor what serves you and what doesn't. When I first was released, I knew I didn't want a relationship for a year. I was not going to have a boyfriend for a year because that was what was suggested by everybody, not just A&NA, by the counselors, by the powers that be, by everybody. Please, Jen, just figure out who you are first. Don't don't so get I into agree. a relationship is what they said. Don't do it. Yeah. No, because especially someone like myself who is hardcore empathetic, hardcore codependent, <laughs> right, who, who, who always was a chameleon and would mold herself to whatever it was that you needed so that you loved me and you accepted me. Yeah. Um, I had to make sure that was my mission. I left rehab with that mission alone was to be authentic, have solid boundaries and to continue to um, seek accountability. Those steps have grown quite a bit as I've learned more and more about myself. But, you know, authenticity was my first goal. Mm -hmm. The ability to not only know who I am, but be who I am without apology. Mm -hmm. And I was in a relationship <laughs> I was in a relationship in a sense. I had a friend that I was friends with and, you know, the conversation came up around being in a relationship and I, I made it very clear that that is not something I'm looking for right now. He had the opportunity to go be a DJ in Vegas and didn't want to go because of us. And I said, look, we're, you're my best friend. There, there is absolutely no way I could ever live with myself if you didn't go take this opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so he did. And he said, well, before I go, I said, no, because you're going to be a DJ in Vegas. No, <laughs> not going to happen. I'm not going to worry about that. All day, every day. I'm just not going to put myself through that. Absolutely not. Yeah. However, over the course of the last next year and a half, two years, I was there every other weekend and he was down back in Riverside every other weekend. And the last few months, we started getting really serious. We started discussing what it would look like for me to have a salon up in uh, Vegas. And we started looking around. And then he came down and let me know that a girl contacted him that he had been messing with a few months prior to that before we got serious and she's pregnant. Mm. And so while this had every opportunity to throw me for the loop that the last one threw me for, I was in a different place. Mm -hmm. I had set those boundaries up with myself knowing that the reason that I'm not doing this is because I'm not putting myself in that situation again. And I was almost proud, even though I was devastated and absolutely heartbroken right. because while he still wanted to be with me, I, 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 there was no way that I wasn't going to make him at least try with this woman. Go try, figure mm -hmm. it out. They didn't want to be together, but it wasn't that I wasn't in a place where I wanted kids in my life yet. And that wasn't something and it wasn't with me. Mm -hmm. So why would I put myself through that? I'm too early in my recovery. There's no way. I'm sorry. And I set that boundary and I let him go. And it was one of the hardest things at that point that I had done because he treated me great other than getting other people pregnant. Right. right. So I thought just that. And right, it just goes to show our worth is so low when we first get out and what we think we deserve. But I stood up for myself and I moved on. I met another gentleman who was quite a few years my senior, but he was, um, we were inseparable. He was, we laughed all the time. We were very uh, well connected. <laughs> we had a great time together. 
And honestly, I had no worries about his age. He was about 19 years older than me. Mm -hmm. I have always been someone that has dated older, around 10 years older, even from the time I was 14. My boyfriend was 22. I was 15 with a 21-year-old. It's just always been that way because I've always just been more mature and Mm -hmm. I just never found that connection with someone my age. So I thought there's no big deal. He's already had his kids. He's already been married. I don't have to worry about because I had sworn I was never going to be in a relationship with someone who had young kids because yeah. my ex did and that was stolen from me. Mm-hmm. And even though I was his stepmom for four years, I wasn't allowed to continue to have a relationship with him. And so I I set those. There's just certain things I put in place. Like what is it that I need in this relationship or that I will are absolute deal breakers? And he was good with that. And because his kids were grown, I didn't have any issues and we had a great time. However, his friends did not understand that I didn't want kids, kept telling him, let that girl go, let her have a family. And eventually certain things ended up to the point where I had to tell him that it just wasn't going to work out. And I was devastated again. But for the second time, I had to break off something that no longer served me, mm-hmm. no matter how much I loved and cared about him. No matter how much he had bought me, he was the first man ever that, I mean, he had a beach house on, in Oceanside on the beach. It was his private, you know, yeah. beach. And he Easy had, you know, yeah. oh, he, I've never been taken care of like that. I'd always been the provider in every relationship I was in. And that was hard letting go because I thought, Jen, you're a yeah. ex-homeless convicted felon drug addict. Yeah. What are you thinking? And here you are. Yeah. Get over it. And I still let him go. And what continuing to do that and then continuing to move forward with my fitness and my health and working on myself, I met Michael when I was running boot camp and I was running a boot camp out of a little dojo in the neighborhood. And he had a fighter that he was training, uh, his, the, he was doing the functional training with the fighters and he brought him in right in the middle of my boot camp. And so that led to an interesting introduction to both of us where I was not thrilled, but I was still Mind you, this handsome, really built man walks in with a younger guy who's also really built and handsome. And he's, you know, walked in and I just thought, oh, this guy, he must just think he's everything. And he's <laughs> got these gorgeous green eyes. And he's just so like, yeah, I was just so like, stuck how up. dare you walk in here? I just woke up. I don't even think I brushed my teeth yet while I'm yelling at these girls. <laughs> None of all of us have eye boogers and we're in our damn near rubber pajamas. How dare you walk in here like this? And so. You know, that led to quite a conversation and we literally have not been able to stop hanging out with each other since. And that was nine years ago. Nine years ago. And That's what I was going to ask you. We have, it's been a long time and we've broken up a couple of times in this, in, because there were certain things that I realized, didn't know at the time, but when they, I realized that they were deal breakers, I made it clear. Yeah. I can't do this. If this is how you choose to be, I, I can't. Just That's good okay. communication. You're a grown man. Yeah. But I cannot be that or be there for it. Mm-hmm. I cannot support that. I cannot hold space for that. And I removed myself from the situation. We've bought our own home together about four years ago now. You're like five. a real live adult. I'm grown. Look <laughs> at me. With like a more, no, I don't have a mortgage because we decided to purchase a mobile on a, and on a rented piece of property. And so we actually were able to buy the mobile cash. Mm-hmm. And so I technically have a paid off home. And we're in the middle of renovating it piece by piece. And uh, we've got $100,000 in equity in it already. And I'm just, so, or, equity, I believe that's Yeah, right. equity. Yeah. Equity. yeah. And yeah. so we, 
I mean, we've made five times on the house just by living here for a couple well, It looks years. cool behind so me. Need, you look like whatever you've done. Thank so, you. Yeah, I love very, this charcoal cool. shift lap. There's a charcoal shift lap they have. I believe it was at Home It's Depot, not the white. It's dark. I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah. And you just finding things that I love that maybe that isn't great for everybody else, but I'm not trying to impress anybody. <laughs> I'm trying to create a home that I love. And so, you well, know, I like the ship lap being dark. I think that looks cool. I love yeah. it. Building a framework that I can follow myself so that when I'm off track, I can go back to, hey, you know, what's going on right now? How am I feeling right now? Is this going the way I want or not? And then deciding, okay, well, what do I want? Mm -hmm. If that's not it, what do I want? And creating that vision and really embodying that vision and then being able to recognize where in my life am I out of balance? Where am I giving too much energy and where could I maybe uh, use a little more, Mm -hmm. right? What areas get too much attention and what don't get enough? And then what do I need to be saying yes and no to in order to keep that balance and stay connected and in alignment? So the coaching and, and then the workshops being, that you're doing, Jen, is it, um, I mean, you were saying you did like a workshop like once a month and I guess you're coaching people throughout. And I, I, I it just seems like you're in a good space. With all the, you, I guess what I mean by good space, you're using all of your experience. I always think this is really cool when people do this. You're using all the experience that you've had from a little girl until now, and you're using that to help people with, to help them get through because you've learned different strategies that are real strategies. They're they're not something that you learned about because you read it or you heard it somebody talk about it in a in a seminar. You've lived it. And I think that's probably what people really get about you helping them is that everything you're telling them, you've lived through and you know why it works or why it doesn't work. And I think that's when things really work for people is that you literally embody what you're, what you're talking to them about. And I think that's, if you can take all that experience and push that forward and be your passion to help people, that is so cool. I think that's just very cool. I appreciate that. I, I want to ask you a question, Jen. So, yeah, and, and I can see that. And I can see that you've always been somebody that just jumps and swims as fast as you can, or you jump and run as fast as you can. So this seems like you've kind of balanced that into all the different things that you know, and you're pushing it forward, but you're also kind of keeping it balanced, which I think one of the things I was wanting to ask you is living through all the different things, Jen, that you've lived through. Because you've you've lived such a journey that you a lot of times you just you know you see this in a Netflix series or a movie, but you've actually lived it. What do you think's the biggest takeaway that you would tell people about your journey and how you got through it or how you survived it? Hmm. There's so much there, right? But I would say that when it came down to it, to be true, the only way that I finally started to really be okay was to be was to start honoring myself and my needs. Yeah. And my old belief system was that I had to make sure you were okay so that I could be okay, and I had to make sure that I was accepted. And the truth is now is that I don't have to be accepted of course on every level all of us want to feel that way but i as long as i accept myself Mm -hmm. the rest is just bonus and that's the freeing of for you you're you're actually freeing yourself from all that that 
if you, as long as you're okay with yourself. Yes, you still want adoration. You want somebody to like your stuff or whatever that is, but you don't have to have it as long as you're good with yourself. 100%. I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, that's deep because it, it, it hits on so many layers and levels. But if you can get to that point where you're really comfortable with that, it's good for me. I'm good with myself. I don't care what else happens. And you're working your passion, which fills you up, which is yeah. great. Good stuff. Good stuff, Jen. What a great guest. I mean, you, you got, are you working on a book? I am actually, it's not the autobio, but it is a thought leader book. And I will be sharing that framework I talked about because it needs to be out there. And I run the masterclass all the time. This is something that I do work with my clients around, but it's really something I feel like it needs to be out there on a bookshelf, on a Kindle, yeah. on Audible. Yeah. I need people to understand what lifestyle recovery means, that it is possible to have personal freedom, that it is possible to be okay in your own skin, that it is possible to say no without feeling guilty and to be able to create a life that you love full of abundance instead of scarcity and not needing to have to prove yourself to every Tom, Dick and Harry that comes around the corner telling you how you're supposed to be. And we are so in fluent i mean we're literally paying people to influence us on social media now right and which by the way you have a good they, instagram account uh, what, what's your instagram called how did they get you on instagram because you're, you're funny too my, on there. my first or my personal is fit mind body and spirit yeah and i'm sure he, you can share that uh on the information but it's the letter n instead of and so fit mind body and spirit Mm -hmm. And then I also have a professional page that's not as much fun, but I'm actually going to, I'm working with my VA around bringing in reels from other mental health professionals and other wellness professionals so that I can share their information because I see I like gold that. all day long. And there's no reason why I shouldn't be sharing their information yeah. so other people will follow these inspirations as well. Yeah. And so that is lifestyle recovery solutions. There are under underscores between the words and yeah, lifestyle recovery solutions. That's great. I, and, and if anybody's looking, I actually wrote a book. So um, you guys can look and wait for um, Jen's book. But mine's out. It's, it's a nightmare success. Uh, everybody, uh, if you want to subscribe to the show, there, if you go to Spotify, you hit the little bell. If you go to Apple, there's a little three lines up there and you hit follow. Uh, the reviews, love a review. That's, that's great. Uh, love the feedback. You want to leave me a message on brentcassidy.com. Love answering and talking, seeing what the questions are. As I used to say when I was uh, writing my emails back when I was at Leavenworth, stay strong. I'll do the same. And Jen, thank you for uh, being my guest today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Nightmare success in and out. Thanks for being here today. <laughs>